0: Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Before we dive into today's message, we would like to share a unique opportunity with you. On Saturday, April 2nd, we will be hosting our second annual Quest 5K Run and 1K Family Walk to meet the needs in our own backyard. This year, all proceeds will benefit Westerville Area Resource Ministry and Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Ohio. Registration for runners, walkers, donors, and sponsors are open now at go gotoquest.org slash 5K. That's G-O-T-O-Quest dot org slash 5K. Now, let's dive into today's message.
1: I am uh, so excited about our small groups and I'm dripping water all over my iPhone. That's really great. Um, one of the things we love to do around here, we promote submissions in general for our church, but we also encourage all of our small groups to be involved. I'm so excited about Mitch's group uh, doing this with the homeless. It's initiated by them. And I want to encourage you, if you're in a small group as well, anytime that you have a passion for something, we want you to connect with that and we want you to do it with friends. So uh, I just want to encourage that kind of outreach going on. So I uh, heard a story this last week. It was actually a short video. Uh, presented on the Wall Street Journal app uh, that I have in the Offbeat and Absurdities section. And it was a story about the, that made me smile, kind of wonder, and chuckle all at once. It was a story about Miguel Macias. He's a 71-year-old retired graphic designer in Mexico City. And Miguel had made a trip to Italy and seen the Sistine Chapel a few years ago. And he wanted to bring some of that beauty of celebrating God back to people in Mexico who could not afford to go ever to Italy and see it. So he has been in the process of uh, reproducing a replica of the Sistine Chapel in a small church in Mexico City. Uh, And uh, in the interview it was kind of funny because they, they were teasing him saying, you know, why is it taking you 15 years to do a replica half the size of the original one it took? You know, Michelangelo just four years to do it, and he quit kind of saying, well, yeah, but Michelangelo's getting paid with gold, and I'm paying out of my pocket. He was, it, was just a, it was really just one of those cool, fun stories to watch online, and, and, and uh, just this celebration of beauty. I mean, we celebrate Jesus in so many different ways through, through the beauty of moments that we experience with him in answered prayer, through the, the beauty of the outdoors, through the beauty of human relationships, through the beauty of the stories around him. And, and, uh, and it's just such a fun way to experience him. And from now until Easter, we're going to be in a series called Jesus is. And the goal of this time is to simply reflect and remember and hopefully allow ourselves to connect with that beauty of who God is and receive some in- inspiration about how amazing Jesus really is in our lives. Now, uh, in the last series, we were taking active questions each time. We're going to continue to do that in a little different way. So if you've got your smartphones, if you go ahead and grab them out and go to go to gotoquest.org slash share, because uh, we're going to still be involving that interaction in a different way in the next coming messages. Uh, we had a lot of questions last series that we didn't get to, uh, some of them we're going to get to in this series, some of them we're going to actually build a future series around those, and uh, one or two of those questions I'm going to deal with next week in, a, in, in the message called Jesus is Compassion. So what I'd like you to do right now or right after the service is, if you have like some questions or some concerns or some com, some compu- confusing issues around Jesus and this idea of compassion, how you read it in the Bible, who he is, all that kind of stuff. I'd love for you to just submit those things to me through that portal and I'll deal with as many of those things as I can during the messages in the coming weeks as well. So today we're going to refer to a lot of scripture but we're not going to actually read it, read a lot of it. So that means your eyes don't get a break from either this handsomeness or this ugliness, whichever you think about, about this, uh, to look at the screen so regularly. So if you need a break, uh, to, uh, take a break to just look at the beautiful artwork. That's actually some original art by our graphic designer, uh, Kristen Jensen. We asked her and gave her a concept, and she created it all from scratch. And she does such a great job. We're so grateful for her. We're going to talk today about Jesus is through three simple words. Jesus is strength. Jesus is sensitivity, and Jesus is simplicity. Uh, don't worry, I got the alliteration from somebody else. I'm not that smart to do that. There are three plain, ordinary words, aren't they? Yet there are three words that really demonstrate who Jesus is, and they expand in profound ways before our eyes when we start to look at who Jesus really is. I mean, when you think of Jesus, whether you believe in him as the Son of God or not, he was a person of great strength. Uh, let's just start even by thinking about his physical strength. Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up in rural Minnesota working on farms and around people who they hardly ever hired anyone to do anything. So they were basically the fixets of everything. They were not only farmers, they were the carpenters, they were the mechanics, they did everything. And Jesus actually in his life, if you read the story, Jesus was a carpenter by trade. For almost his entire life except for the last three years of his life. And, and it wasn't just a trade that he did back then. The families also r- raised most of the food they ate for themselves and, the, and grew, uh, grew up most of the animals that they butchered to eat. And, and, one time, it went, and it was a time when for carpenters and farmers it wasn't as easy as it is today right? I mean, they were strong people. When you think of a farmer even today, you think of someone with strong, rough hands. They shake your hands and their grip is powerful. They're callous. They're tough. They've got this nice tan, usually, as long as they don't take their shirts off, right, uh, from the sun all the time. Their veins are readily visible in their muscular arms. They work through pain. They work at a pace that few people in the world can match. Just, just ask the, the, the 71-year-old farmer I tried to work with and couldn't keep up with years ago. Jesus worked as a carpenter his whole life, except for his last three years of his life. And his life was much tougher than today, a whole lot tougher. I mean, there was no tractor to, to pull the plow through the furrows and the, with air conditioning and MP3 players. There was no Home Depot. If they wanted to build something, they started by going out and cutting down a tree and dragging it to wherever they needed and stripping the bark off and cutting every single board that they needed to have for whatever their project was. And most carpenters in Jesus' day were also stonemasons. So that meant they had to go find the stones. They had to dig the stones up. They had to bring them back and shape them and place them where they were supposed to be. If Jesus had not been physically strong, he wouldn't have lasted in that trade. And even when we look at the Scriptures, we see Jesus, in one instance, throwing out, going into the temple and throwing out the money changers and, and, and tipping over their tables because of their financial shenanigans that they were doing and, and dishonoring the house of God. And they fled before him, didn't they, in that story? I mean, he must have been a pretty imposing physical presence because there was money at stake. And if he hadn't been an imposing physical presence, I mean, they would have all looked at him and said, yeah, you're trying to turn my tables over and you want me to leave? Yeah, you and who else's mother, right? I mean, that would have been their response. But they didn't. They fled before him. And the Bible tells us Jesus would walk from town to town. And we know the, the, the journey he took a lot of times. That was 10, 15, 20, 25 miles a day he would walk up and down rocky, dusty hills in shoes that were not anywhere near as comfortable as they are today in Middle Eastern heat. And what about the near, the, near the end of his life? I mean, Jesus is savagely beaten. He's flogged with a whip that has stone and glass and metal shards in the end of it to rip the flesh off of his back. And after that, they place a 100-pound cross on him and he carries it all the way through Jerusalem out to the edge of the city, up a hill called Calvary to be crucified. I don't know of many people, if any, in a, among us who could do that kind of thing. I, do, I certainly could. Jesus was a very strong man. But it wasn't just his physical strength, he was also mentally strong, mental tenacity, mental toughness. He was absolutely clear about his identity and his mission on earth. Nothing could seduce him or distract him or derail him from that mission. I mean, it takes a lot, when we think about it, doesn't it? It takes a lot of internal mental toughness and mental focus for any of us to stay on mission for any period of time. Whether it's in business or whether it's in ministry or whether it's in commitment in life or whether it's even in your marriage or your relationships. It takes a lot to resist just taking the easier path and settling and coasting, doesn't it? To avoid the side streets of excess of comfort or pleasure. It's hard to stay focused on mission in our lives without feeling like at some point... We earn the right to just kind of take it easy and coast and enjoy, and we start to lose focus, and success gradually becomes maintenance, and maintenance gradually becomes decline. But Jesus had the inner strength, and He displayed it all throughout His life, all the way to, to the end, to stay focused on His rem- mission. I remember when he had the nails pounded into his hands and he was stripped naked and he was propped up on a cross in front of people to spit at and and to mock. I mean, a man of lesser internal mental strength would have just said, who needs this? And we know that Jesus as the Son of God had the power to stop that in that moment. But because of his choice of love for us, because of his omission for us, he could not abort that redemptive plan. And Jesus went through it. He was extremely strong physically. He was very, very tough mentally. And he was also very strong emotionally. I mean, Jesus was constantly facing people who, who acted like they were for him. But what they were really there for is just to get their own needs met. And as long as he met their needs, they were happy. And some were actually there trying to trick him and undermine him in that process. And he faced unfounded accusations on a regular basis. He was called a drunkard and a sinner just because he had meals with people who were deemed by the religious people as sinners. He faced the most intensive demands. He had people demanding and asking that he heal their sick family. He had a dad bring his demon-possessed boy to him and say, deliver him, fix him, change this. He faced death threats through most of his three years of ministry. And he faced crowds that one moment loved him, and the next hated him. Like when he was in the town of Nazareth, his hometown. He's there, and they're all feeling wonderful about him, cheering for him, thinking he's amazing. But he says something that makes him feel uncomfortable. And if you remember the story, what happens next? They want to throw him off the cliff and kill him in that moment. They turned on him. Jesus, among other things, was also a teacher. And those of you who have have taught a lot, especially on spiritual or emotional or life change issues where you're inviting people to consider changing their lives and their beliefs, you know how emotionally demanding that is to do that. Especially if you have an important message that you know if they will just do this, it will make their life so much better. It takes an emotional toll on you to be involved in that, right? And the reality is whether you're on a platform or whether you've never been on a platform, every single one of us is that kind of a teacher at some point in our life. Maybe it's just over a, a cup of coffee with a friend or with your spouse or with your kids or with your parents and you're trying to talk about a difficult behavior or a difficult attitude that you want to see change, that needs to be changed for life to be better. It's this conversation that's a risk that if it doesn't go right, it's going to add tension and it's going to add rejection to it. And if it's resisted and refused and misunderstood, it's definitely going to add accusations that are maybe oftentimes not true about your intent or your desire in that moment. It's extremely demanding emotionally to be a teacher in those moments. Facing rejection, facing the possibility of misunderstanding and alienation in relationship. I remember one simple example. A number of years ago, I, I spoke on a message and I spent over half the message talking about how we should get really... In depth in our understanding and our study of the Bible, how we should value it. I even promoted in that message uh, people signing up to take an accredited evangelical Bible college course. But I also said something in that message that touched on some people's sin, and they went away fixated on that and spread all sorts of rumors, vicious rumors that I was a heretic, I didn't believe in the Bible, and, and it, was, it was just, it was actually one of the easier ones to deal with because it was so outrageous in the process. But teaching. And challenging people to change their lives, whether it's from a platform or over conversation, requires emotional strength. And here's here's the point why I bring that up. Jesus was a big deal. He was the second person of the Trinity. He was the smartest man that ever lived. He was the most powerful, capable, compelling teacher that ever walked the planet. He taught with passion. And he laid his ideas and his heart out there for people to inspire them to welcome the kingdom of God and the power of God to be part of their life. And his message was, by many, met with flat-out defiance, especially from the religious establishment. They asked him trick questions to try to embarrass him and undermine him. They lied about what he had taught in earlier earlier teaching sessions to discredit him. They spread half-truths about him on a regular basis. On occasion, they physically intimidated him and booed him and hissed at him. And sometimes even his close friends couldn't bear the level of piercing truthfulness in his thoughts and his teaching. And many of them turned on their heels and walked away from him because he wasn't the Bible teacher that they wanted to have. We see this in John 6, verse 66. Ooh, 666. Did you catch that? It's just an ooh scary verse. Many of his disciples turned their back on him and left, it says, in that verse. And this is the point I'm making. Jesus' teaching at that level of influence took an unbelievable emotional toll. The kind that makes anyone want to say, forget this, what's the bother with it? I mean, remember as well, the whole point of us following Jesus is that we learn to be like him. That we learn to also have this kind of emotional strength. And Jesus never caved in. He never modified the message. He never lowered the challenge level. He never backed off the truths he was pointing people toward. And he would say things like, the Father has called me to do, what I'm, to do what I'm doing, to say what I'm saying, and I'll proclaim it, I'll do it, whether, I rec- whether people receive it or whether they reject me, whether people applaud me or whether they say, I'm not a good preacher, not a good teacher, not a good person, and they reject me or arrest me and even beat me. The emotional strength it takes to do that is tremendous. And Jesus was tough physically. He was tough mentally, and he was tough emotionally strong in all those areas but what about his moral strength think about it if you read about the private life or the behind the scenes life of, of of any famous leader or teacher you better probably fasten your seatbelt because a lot of times in many cases what you what you're going to learn is going to be really disappointing when you see what they were like away from the spotlight away from the podium away from the public view it can oftentimes be pretty ugly I mean, think about some of the U.S. presidents you've studied about, some of the most famous ones, some of the most celebrated When they were off the stage, out of the limelight, their private private lives were a whole lot less than we'd hoped they would be. I mean, even the private lives of some of the great spiritual leaders who have lived in history, if you think about it and read about that, which I've done many times, there's been many times I've had my balloon popped and I had to start thinking, how in the world did they, what did they do? And, 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 and over what period of time and, and how did they justify that kind of behavior and that attitude and went on and wrote and talked about God and, and it really made a big difference in our history. I mean, even top religious leaders of our day today would oftentimes shift uneasily in their feet uh, and sheepishly admit, on occasion, ego interferes with my ministry. Insecurity interferes with my ministry. Avarice sometimes creeps in fame or fortune gets its grip, some of the greatest leaders of our day and and, and even the greatest spiritual leaders of our day, if they were honest, would have to say every now and then a battle with a secret temptation is lost. But Jesus was completely different on this point. Jesus mustered the moral strength to overcome every temptation. He was tempted in every way we are, but he overcame everything. And putting it another way, Jesus shot shot 100%. He never airballed. He never hit the rim. His life was nothing but net. One time, his detractors came to him and they were just furious, foot-stomping mad about something he had said. They wanted in the worst way to discredit him. In fact, in one of the exchanges, we see one of them striking Jesus in the face for an answer he made. And Jesus humbly just responds and says this in John 18, 23. He said, If I said something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? I mean, in that context, what's actually happening is they're trying to accuse Jesus of moral crimes. It's right at his final trial before they put him to death. And, and you, see the, you see the religious leaders trying to find witnesses against him, and even they couldn't even find two false witnesses who could agree. I mean, at least there was a level of honesty among the religious leaders that they had to have two witnesses who agreed before they could do something. But... Man, if they were either, if they were coaching them, which it appears they were from the text, they were not coaching their witnesses very good to say the right thing because they couldn't find two witnesses who could form even a single proof of any moral fault on Jesus' part. Think about it, for a world-class leader who lived a high-pressure, visible life, For that kind of a person to not have a single blemish on their moral scorecard requires enormous moral strength. I mean, whatever you think of Jesus of Nazareth, if you believe him to be the Son of God or not... If you don't, just don't believe what people present him to be in the movies as this kind of emaciated, starry-eyed, flaky character or or scrawny character, or some of them just try to picture him as the stunningly handsome, manicured model. He was really neither. He was perhaps the strongest overall person, the toughest person who ever walked the planet, physically, mentally, emotionally, and morally. But what about sensitivity? Well... Isn't it kind of odd to put sensitivity and strength together? I mean, how often do you find those two things together in the same person? I mean, usually people who with exceptional strength show less of a capacity for sensitivity because the two are often mutually exclusive. Think about the greatest generals in the world. They make their battle plans knowing there's going to be 10 to 20% casualties and they, they give the orders to go ahead anyway and take the hill, right? I mean, it's their job is what they say. They're high on strength quota low on sensitivity quota. Even think about a lot of the powerful CEO, change or agent CEOs that we admire, whose books we read or whose biographies we read to study and learn leadership from them. They just go in there and they go, what, I mean, 50, 500, 5,000 layoffs, you know? I mean, they just do it without that much emotion a lot of times because it's strictly business. We had to make the numbers work. Great strength and deep sensitivity often do not coexist in the same person. But let's look at Jesus. The Bible records Jesus, this man with tremendous power, the power to halt the wind, the power to say to the raging seas, to tell these huge, crashing waves of the sea to lie flat. And yet he thoroughly enjoyed taking children in his lap and hugging them and laughing with them and listening to them and blessing them. The one who wielded the power to to heal the sick and make the lame to walk and the blind to see was the same one who, when he traveled through certain towns, he would look at the people there living self destructive lives and he'd pause. And he'd say words like, Oh, with compassion and tears in his eyes, these are people who are like, they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And and the Scripture shows Jesus repeatedly crying, this strong man coming to tears. We see it in John 11:35, the shortest verse. Jesus wept. We see it at the graveside of a friend who had recently passed him crying. We see it when he approaches this town and this, this little boy who had died is being let out to be buried by his mother. And he weeps and he cries. The one assigned the most important mission in the world. Whose public teaching sessions regularly attracted thousands often would sneak off to the side of those groups and meet one-on-one with the broken people, with grieving people, with hurting people, with confused people, and the people who others would not want to pay attention to. It would frustrate his entourage and his followers to no end at times. Jesus' sensitivity, his radar to locating people who were suffering around him was so finely tuned that Jesus almost never made it from point A to point B in his traveling without someone stopping and taking him off to the side and engaging very personally with someone in the middle of their mess. Mark 5 tells us the story of Jesus and and his interaction with this woman who had had an issue with bleeding for years. She had spent all of her money on medical expenses and doctors trying to find healing. Some things don't ever change, right? Healing medical has always been expensive. It was back in Jesus' days. And you see this picture of Jesus. There's this large crowd around him. Everyone with their needs, everyone with their questions, pressing, trying to push their way through the crowd to get to Jesus. And, and there's this, already been this really important man of the community come to Jesus and say, Would you please come to my daughter, come to my house, because my daughter is at death's door. And they are together, this man and Jesus, pressing through the crowd, trying to get there. When this poor woman reaches out in one last desperate attempt to find healing. And touches Jesus' garment. Knowing that when she touches Jesus, according to their ceremonial law, she would make Jesus, this great rabbi, unclean. And you would take him out of commission for seven days if he followed the law. Yet Jesus feels the healing power of the Spirit leave him when she touches him. And he stops and he talks to her in this amazingly unhurried, I'm focused on you. You are the most important person in my world right now. Moment. It's beautiful. He has a sensitivity of a kind that the world has never seen. People around him didn't understand it. His sensitivity knew no color, no no gender, no age, no socioeconomic delineators. His sensitivity was unforced, it was consistent, and it was universal. The fact of the matter is Jesus never saw a sick person he didn't want to heal. Never saw a despaired person he didn't want to give hope to. He never saw a wayward, hurting person he didn't want to put his arm around and invite him back into relationship, into the family, somehow, in some way. Jesus was just that sensitive. He was a a one-of-a-kind when it came to strength. He was a a one-of-a-kind when it came to sensitivity. If that weren't one of Jesus was also this person of great simplicity in his life. See the usual trajectory of our lives when we 're competent when we 're successful in powerful people 's lives is toward greater and greater complexity isn 't it? I mean, our schedule gets more complicated, increasingly complicated. we get more busy, and the importance of our endeavors tend to erect walls around us of bureaucracy that keep people away from us because we are doing more important things, and we have to delegate the rest, and so normal people can't get close to us anymore. And eventually, if we're really, really successful, we end up settling in gated communities. We eat the best food, we drink the best wine, we wear the finest clothing, and pretty soon, we're totally out of touch with the reality of the normal people we used to relate to once in a while and felt close to and lead. I mean, their life is packed with complexity, right? You know this. You've seen it, and so have I. In fact, to some degree, everyone in this room has probably struggled with this tendency personally because of the level of success and leadership sitting in this room, right? But that never happened to Jesus. Life didn't become more complex. It could have become more. But Jesus intentionally made another choice, and some radical choices. Despite his enormous following, almost always hundreds, regularly over a 1,000, and sometimes more than 20,000 people in the crowd following him. Despite his enormous popularity, he chose to live life very simply and enabled him to stay accessible to anyone at any time. I mean, he walked the dusty roads like everyone else did. No donkey, no horse, no chariot, no limo. He ate the foods the common folks ate. He often stayed in the homes of friends or camped outside to keep costs of living down. He kept his schedule flexible. And as we see, he had this open-door policy that allowed almost anyone to come and talk to him anytime they wanted to, if they really wanted to do it. Upon his death, he left nothing behind that would require a huge portfolio that trustees and lawyers would have to get involved in. He had just one single earthly possession, his blood-stained robe that takes away the stains of our own sin in our own life, yours and mine. And why did Jesus live so simply? I mean, God's Son, the one accustomed to the perks and privileges of heaven, the one who had all the resources of heaven at his disposal, why did he choose such an extreme level of simplicity in his life? Why on one occasion does he put a towel over his arm and fill a basin with water and wash the feet of his followers? I think it's because of this. Jesus' commitment to simplicity was to establish the value once and for all in everyone's mind that people matter more than things matter in life. All of life, a life of simple, focused servitude, in the name of God our Father, is a life much more preferred over the complicated, endless, busy quests that we find ourselves so often in for more and more and more. More money, more positions, more pleasure, more house, more nicer things, more impressive resumes, more power, more fame. See, his lifestyle of simplicity underscored the core message that following Jesus, in its essence, is simple. It's about loving God. And making yourself available on a daily basis to serve and love other human beings like he loves us. Jesus' lifestyle said it all. And it's just that simple. You so often we read about Jesus and we face the pictures of Jesus like we've tried to portray today. And we have these strong overriding, we have a strong overriding emotion. And it's not usually the emotion that we would expect. It's not, it's not the awe, the love and the joy. I mean, we feel those things, but there's oftentimes, at least for me and maybe for you, this overriding sense that we feel a sense of sadness. We hear stuff like this, and the sad, it's sadness because we think about Jesus and we go, "I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have walked with him. I wish I could have known him. I wish I, I'd lived in the wrong time in history. I'll never get a chance to see that personally or experience that personally. But though a logical feeling, that feeling is not true to the reality. See, you can relearn to relate to him. You can, like his followers did in, in that day, because, because of his death, because of his redemption and forgiveness of our sins, he, he then rose from the dead and he's still alive. By His Spirit, we can relate to Him like anyone ever has, and we can relate to Him anywhere, anytime we want to. And as you get to know this Jesus of Nazareth who's alive today, His strength gradually becomes something that infuses our weak parts of our life with that strength. And, and gradually His sensitivity comes in and, and takes our hard, crusty cynicism and our sarcasm or our unkind and sensitive places of our lives and gradually makes us more sensitive. And his focused simplicity will slowly replace the scattered, dabbling, complex approach that most of us take to managing our lives. And the question today is, especially if you've not experienced that, would you like to experience that kind of a relationship, that kind of personal, powerful friendship with God as you walk through the dusty streets of your life? I mean, some of you have been a Christian for years, But if you're really truthful with yourself, Jesus is still a bit of a remote historical figure. It's not Jesus is in your life. It's Jesus was and someone you admire. He's someone distant, a deity busy up in heaven, but certainly not someone available, certainly not someone accessible to you as a friend. But by his Spirit, Jesus is present with us right now, right in this moment. Some of you may even be feeling His presence right now. And knowing that presence and that, that, that friendship of God's Spirit starts as simply as changing, to a certain extent, our mindset and our actions. It might be as simple as learning to pray by going home and by yourself and taking an empty chair and putting it in front of you as a visual reminder that He is there with you in that moment. And then just beginning to talk with Him. Or maybe it's driving in the car and, and, and turning the radio off and, and, and talking with the person who's always with you in the seat right next to you. And it's not just talking at him like you would driving up to a drive-thru and placing your order at the drive-thru window. It more, more, it's, it's, more like, it's more like having a cup of coffee with your friend in the comfy couches in the corner of Starbucks, right? You know, it's, it's even, if, even if you allow yourself to walk through life Trying to process this well but, but, but then you find yourself in a time where you're not processing life well and, and, and you're not having this conversation regularly. Maybe, maybe you're at a place where you used to really hear His voice well and sense His presence well but you need to relearn how to do that again. To pay attention to the Holy Spirit in our lives as this accompanying presence that is always with us. God is ever-present help always with us. I feel his presence sometimes while I'm preparing a message or I'm up here speaking. Sometimes I, I feel his presence, especially it seems like in meetings that are difficult, it seems like I, I sense his presence more than in easy meetings. I, I, I experience his presence a lot when there's a decision that needs to be made or where the circumstances or the outcome are really uncertain, confusing, maybe even threatening to the stability. Sometimes it's Simply waking up in the morning with a worship song in your mind and just allowing that to sit there for a minute and experience his presence with her. You're going to sleep thinking about him at the end of the day and closing your eyes and and just thinking about how much he loves me and how good his plan is for life, no matter what's going on. Sometimes I experience his presence reading the Bible as as his words leap off the page and, and give me insight into something I'm facing right then in life. But over the past couple of months and seeing many of the questions that you guys submitted for our last, especially for last week's message that we talked about, I, I found myself at times again facing a sense of sadness. A sadness because I know that some of you don't really know Jesus and his Holy Spirit in that way and don't know his presence in that way. And again, many of you are Christians and you love Jesus. You love who He is. You want to follow Him. You love the message of grace and kindness and forgiveness. But the reality of your life is that your faith still feels too much like you're following rules. Like, you need to be a good boy or a good girl. I mean, being good is better than bad, right? But but it's still too much of this feeling that, that life in your faith is more about this gradual adoption of a religious lifestyle than it is about this dynamic relationship and conversation of the, with the Spirit of God with you all the time. Some of you, your conversations with God feel a little bit too much like placing your order at a run-down McDonald's drive through where there's a whole bunch of cars in front of you waiting and they're stuck because they're not servicing fast. You're not moving anywhere and the speaker's broken, so you place your order, but you don't hear anything back, so you don't know if they got the order or not. And sometimes it feels like that's the way... Life is talking with God. You're stuck there, you can't move forward, and you can't hear anything back. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. God wants to have a conversation with us, a two-way conversation. And some of the questions you submitted for the last series paint a picture as well of a lot of concern over our over the conditions of our world right now. I have a lot of questions about concern about the economy, about terror, about personal safety. And I mean that's probably amplified in our lives right now pending the outcome of the Nazareth uh, restaurant investigation and whether that was terror. It's one of my favorite lunch spots just down the street from us. But that fear or concern is an odd thing for followers of Jesus. You have the strength of Christ available to you. In a conversational way, an ever-present help, a friend who has conquered evil and promised to walk with you through life no matter how uncertain life is. And the, frankly, if, something, if someone blows something up and you're near it, well, you, you get rid of all the pain and the suffering and you get to go to heaven. So wh- where is the fear in that? What is that all about in our lives? Some of you today are lonely and you're trying to fill that loneliness in less, in less than really healthy ways. And all the while, Jesus wants to be your friend and lead you to grow in a positive, joyful friendship with him and joyful friendships with others. And it starts by learning to have this intimate conversation with him regularly while you're driving, maybe even while you're listening to me. No matter how interesting I am or not, coming and expecting God to speak, even if they're boring words on that day to you. Learning to expect Him to draw your heart and your attention to things as you read the Bible that apply to your life. Learning, learning how He speaks to you through your dreams. What dreams are from Him and what dreams are just us processing our own stuff. Learning how to understand physical and emotional sensations you have that, uh, and which ones are from Him and which ones are just us and our thoughts are our own feelings. I mean, that's part of our leap of faith. If you haven't done the leap of faith card, that's part of what what our leap of faith during the Lenten season is. It's not just to identify one thing that we want Jesus to do for us, which is one of the questions we have, and and to keep asking for Him. It's, It's to have a conversation around that one thing that we want jesus to do for him to speak to you about it for to, to watch him lead you in that to his will and how he wants to answer it even if it's a different answer than what you, what you want and how god wants to work with you through it so right now as we come to a close here i'd like to ask you right now to have a conversation quietly just have a conversation with this remarkable person of jesus his spirit presence present with us now this person whose strength and his sensitivity and his simplicity is so amazing. And if it's awkward for you to have that conversation, if you still struggle with prayer and prayer feels awkward, just, just admit that. Just start it off by saying, Jesus, this is really awkward for me. I, I don't know how to do this. I feel strange about doing it, but I want to try. And then just talk to him about what's on your heart, what's on your mind, and then just spend quietly some time quietly listening. So we're just going to take a minute now or so and then I'll close our time together in prayer in just a minute. But if you just if you you don't have to close your eyes but if you want to close your eyes for lack of to prevent distractions, that's fine. And just just spend some time talking to him right now. Lord, more than anything else, we desire your presence and we desire to know how you communicate with us, how you work in our lives so that we can live our lives confidently and surely. And Lord, thank you for your promise that you want us to know that more than we want to know that. You want us to sense your presence and be led by your presence to understand your Holy Spirit, how you speak to each one of us more than you even want us to know. So, Lord, we welcome you in your spirit as our teacher. And I ask that you would help each and every one of us here to grow by leaps and bounds this year in being more and more confident in understanding your presence so that who you are can transform our lives or the areas of our lives that are complex and frustrating we don't understand, that you can bring simple clarity the places where we don't love as well as we want to love, that you can bring the sensitivity. or the places that we worry, that we feel weak, that we feel afraid, you can bring strength. Lord, we need you to do that. So we worship you and thank you that that's exactly, exactly what you're doing in our lives. So we continue to worship you now and come and show yourself among us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you so much for listening to our sermon podcast. If you are interested in learning more about Quest, who we are and what we do, please visit gotoquest.org slash connect. If you are interested in supporting Quest financially, you can give quickly and easily by visiting gotoquest.org slash giving. This page will walk you through all the options to give online, via text message, or through the PushPay app. If you are loving Quest and the podcast, let us know by tagging Quest in your Facebook or Twitter post and use the hashtag GoToQuest. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to check back in next week for another great message.